Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I am joined by the king himself, fellow co-founder Evan Silva. Evan, it is August, my friend, a couple short fortnights away from week one. What's going on? What's going on? Today, we're going to be talking about bus players that we think are going to fall, fall well short, not just undershoot their ADP, but fall well, well short of their ADP. And this is always a very controversial topic. And people get very, you know, lots and lots of vitriol is spewed over bus. And I can't wait to make my predictions and hear yours. I think one of your most popular and, and probably successful articles leading up to drafts for the last, I don't know, 10 years has been the shy away 40 that you do. And it's been remarkably on point guys to shy away from in drafts based on their ADP. So we're just gonna give people a little bit of a teaser on it here. You can look for the full article later in August as it gets to peak draft season. Speaking of the draft kit, wanted to remind everyone it's just $35 comes with a $25 coupon using any FFPC league. Include Silva's top 150, Silva's tiers. We have rankings for every possible format. Tons of articles from Silva, myself, Corain, Thorman, Thorne, Dink, Leone. Everyone you know and love. I try to convince the team to make it more expensive every day. One day I will win. So go ahead and check it out now on the site. Okay. I want to be clear that the term bust is, of course, relative, as Evan alluded to. You know, a player can have a decent season and still be a bust if he was a first round pick. When we say the word bust, we're talking about the opportunity cost of players being selected around him in fantasy drafts, right? Like, in other words, we'd hope that you think of player values as a market. You know, X player could be really good pick in the seventh round, but if the market thinks that he's worth a fourth round pick, then he's a bad pick. So anyways, that's just a long way of saying that these guys are definitely, these are guys we definitely aren't taking this season at their current ADPs or really anywhere near their current ADPs. Let's start with one of your most controversial takes, Evan. Even people inside the established run family think you're crazy for this one. You could not be more out on DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins currently has an ADP of wide of 19th overall. By the way, I'm using underdog ADP here. ADP of 19th overall has DeAndre Hopkins. You have had him as low as wide receiver 14 in the rankings. And when people see that, they just absolutely lose their mind. I know you talked about this before, but a quick recap on why you're completely out on DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we've learned, I mean, just from doing this really a long time that there is an additional, you know, a, a significant uh, red flag whenever wide receivers change teams. Um, they have to learn to play with a new quarterback. They have to learn a new offense. There's a lot of timing and rhythm that go into, um, you know, having a, a successful rapport with, between a quarterback and a pass catcher. And I think that DeAndre Hopkins needs that because of the way he plays, because he's not necessarily, you know, an elite separation receiver. He is a contestant catch and back shoulder um, receiver primarily. And he really developed that rapport with not only, um, you know, uh, Deshaun Watson in, in Houston, but also like Tom Savage, who was a guy that was a terrible actual quarterback, but definitely was willing to rip it to uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, now DeAndre Hopkins goes to a team with a lot more balance. Um, number two in uh, rushing offense, DVOA, this past year. Not much practice time to be able to develop that rapport that I think he's going to need 
uh, early on, certainly with, uh, with Kyler Murray. I think that Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald are uh, on the interior, are a legitimate target competition. Uh, no matter what you think of Larry Fitzgerald at this point in his career, he's going to attract, you know, five, six, seven targets a game. Christian Kirk, I think, is an absolutely an ascending player. Kenyon Drake is a player that I think has a chance at, at 60 catches this year. You know, DeAndre Hopkins averaged over the past five years 166 targets per season in Houston. And I think that on a more balanced team, um, again, with an, an, an elite, I, I think we could say an elite running game, based on what they did in Cliff Kingsbury's first year, I think it's much likelier that DeAndre Hopkins finishes in the 130 to 140 target range. That will, that will be a big hit. And really, if you look historically at the, the Kingsbury slash Mike Leach style of offense, uh, they, they, they don't envision balance, offensive balance as run to pass 50-50 ratio. They envision, they envision offensive balance as distributing the ball Equal, you know, equally or relatively equally among your playmakers. Obviously, the better playmakers are going to get the ball a little bit more, and you know, the weaker uh, playmakers are going to get the ball a little bit less. Uh, but I don't think that he's jumping into a situation where they're going to be going all out to you know get DeAndre Hopkins the rock down after down after down like they were so often in Houston. Um, and I think that people are are almost assuming that he's going to be able to jump right in. That Kyler Murray's going to take his passing game to the next level and all this. There's just there's a lot of assumption, a lot of hope-based projections going into DeAndre Hopkins' ADP right now. Um, and, and I'm going to stay way, way, way below it. I think that valuing him as a fringe wide receiver one, two, is fair. That's where we have him right now, as opposed to a top five receiver, which is where he is in ADP. Yeah, and this is going to be a huge gap, you know, and obviously if you're using the rankings, you're never, ever going to get DeAndre Hopkins. I actually don't want DeAndre Hopkins either. I agree with Evan. I wouldn't have him quite as low as Evan does, but I also don't want DeAndre Hopkins. One point that that I would make too is people assume that the quote-unquote air raid, Cliff Kingsbury's offense, means Kyler Murray's going to throw the ball 50 times a game. That That's not what it means. In fact, I think they're going to be, as Evan's alluded to, you know, pretty balanced and with their run game. They played their best football last season when they got the run game going schematically. So, so yeah, you know, even if DeAndre Hopkins does get 25, 24% of the targets, which I think is fair, um, it's not going to be as much volume, I think, as maybe some people are expecting in general. So we agree with that one. We're going to have some here that we disagree on. Maybe we disagree on this one, Evan. This is one that I submitted, and this one pains me, man. It really does. If you have followed uh, me for the last, I don't know, four years, you know that nobody has been more affectionate towards Chris Godwin. Shout out to Penn State. I have like t-shirts of this guy that that fans have sent me uh, with Chris Godwin like on his knees, like praising the Lord. I have memes of him like all stacked up on my computer, like as God himself. But man, at an ADP of 21.2, I think people often uh, underrate how important game environment is when it comes to player projections. Like, you know who's been in the top two in ADOT the last two seasons? Uh, the Bucks, average depth of target. You know who's been in the top seven in passing rate the last two years? Yeah, the Bucks. You know who leads the NFL and pick sixes the last two years? Uh, literally, which is like the best thing that can happen to a wide receiver, the Bucks. So all these things combine to create these exact perfect game environments. Now enter Tom Brady, who's the exact opposite of all those things. You know, will not turn the ball over, will not be among the league leaders in ADOT, will not let the game get loose, you know, will not let the Bucks get into these 28 to 3 deficits or 37 to 31 back and forth games. And so it's like Mike Evans is there. 
and they added more red zone competition in Rob Gronkowski we talked about in the last podcast. So to me, 21.2 is just way too rich for Chris Godwin. I know it's shocking for people to hear that. I kind of think of it like DFS, like when you're on a guy, when nobody's on him one week and then everybody, his salary goes up, the situation is worse and everybody's on him the next week. Like that's like a sick, sick fish type of play. So I hate to use the word sick fish around Chris Godwin. I kind of hope that he proves me wrong, but unfortunately I'm not gonna be drafting him at all if his ADP stays around 20, 21, 22. Evan, I know this is kind of a hot take. Tell me I'm not crazy. You're not. I mean, I we were getting him in every single draft last year, virtually. I mean, you know, he was one of our highest summon players by far. And this year, I have I don't think I've taken him once, uh, maybe once out of I don't know 20, 25 drafts or something like that. Um, you know, he's he goes right around that two three turn, and that's one of the dead spots I think right. this year in drafts. And um, and he's he's part of it. I mean, I. I feel like you're you're almost forcing it with Chris Godwin. I do have him as the wide receiver five. I do think he's going to have a really good year. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm with you. He's not someone that I'm super excited to draft this season. What about people who say Chris Godwin is just going to be the Edelman for for Tom Brady? Do you see any comparison there? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's going to run the highest percentage routes uh, in the receiver core, and I think that you know theoretically that best suits the game of Tom Brady right now. Um, yeah, he's, he's just not someone that I've been excited to draft because there's just no value there. Like we sucked all the value out of, out of Chris Godwin. Right. And there's a big ADP gap now between Godwin and Mike Evans. And like, you know, we were, you know, uh, one of the good bits we had last year was who's the Bucks number one receiver, Edwins or Evans or Godwin. And, you know, I, I jokingly said it wasn't even close. I do think that it's close. Like the ADP gap between Godwin and Mike Evans should not be as wide as it is, even though I understand Chris Godwin runs the routes that Tom Brady likes to throw to the most at this point in his career. All right, let's get to another one of yours. And, and this one we agree on too. I mean, God, Leonard Fournette, I, his ADP is 37.8, almost solely betting on just raw touch volume. That's something Kareem's talked a lot about where when you're just betting solely on touch volume at the running back position and no other really positive factors, you're asking for trouble. I think a lot of people are asking for trouble with Leonard Fournette. Go ahead on him. He's not good and his team is not good. So... um <laughs> You know, this is a, this is a, this is a tough one, tough one to justify <laughs> with his third round ADP, uh, worst team in the league, uh, I think by a full game at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, Jaguars have a win total of four and a half. They're going to be playing from behind constantly. He, I, I, people love to point out that he had 100 targets and 76 catches last year. He ain't getting that this year. He averaged 5.2 yards per target. Absolutely pathetic. Uh, they brought in Chris Thompson, who I know, oh, he's old, he gets injured. You know. Jay Gruden's going to play Chris Thompson. Like Jay Gruden knows Chris Thompson from DC. I mean, he's going to he's going to be in the lineup, um, and you know, taking away those catches. I think that Reichwell Armstead definitely uh, can make a run at Leonard Fournette's early down touches. I think Leonard Fournette could get cut or traded mm-hmm. uh, before the season. The Jaguars tried to trade him around the draft, found no takers. We're probably a little bit surprised, um, and you know, probably would be willing to take like a seventh round conditional pick for him at this point they did not exercise his option for 2021 um, he's been injured frequently people all of a sudden you know oh you know he they wouldn't draft him last year because he always gets injured now he, you know but then he has one year where he you know stays mostly healthy and now now people want to draft him um, doesn't make sense to me you know the, the maybe the lowest floor rb2 pick of anyone 
this year to where he could actually spend several weeks out of the league. I, I why do people think he's good? Is it because they're playing Madden and he's good in Madden? Because it's certainly not based on his production on the field. I mean, they're certainly not watching him play and being like, oh, that guy's good. Mm-hmm. You know, or they're certainly not looking at even so much at his, at his box scores. And be, uh, Is it because they're playing Madden and he's good in Madden? Is he good in Madden? I don't play Madden. I think it has something to do with draft capital. I mean, he was the number four overall pick in the draft that people cling to draft capital like crazy, you know? And so they assume that a guy who went fourth overall at the running back position has to be good. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. If you read enough Jaguars beat writers, like they are not convinced he's going to be on the roster come week one. And for a guy like that to be going 37th overall is just crazy. And also the only other thing I'd add that you didn't mention, I mean, I think not only will Chris Thompson take some of those short area looks, they could use LaVisca Chenault in that area too and kind of just like swing the ball out to him and he'd be more productive than Laren Fournette in that role as well. Um, Okay. I'm going to submit Todd Gurley as a bust. He's going 30th overall in ADP right now. And, and again, as I mentioned with Leonard Fournette, I really want to be careful about getting high on the running back just for simple touches. I thought the run scheme they ran last year, and maybe part of this was due to offensive line injuries, their running game just looked broken last year. Like Devontae Freeman was so inefficient. So was Brian Hill in spots where he got to take over. And this ver- version of Todd Gurley, is he going to make that big of a difference for this run scheme? I mean, even Dirk Cutter, admitted that the Falcons don't know how much they can ride Todd Gurley. Like just because the Falcons signed Todd Gurley, I mean, these guys have made some donkey moves. I don't think that this necessarily means they assume he's healthy. So 30th overall, and this is where you start to get into modified zero RB and zero RB stuff. Like, you know, I want the third and fourth round wide receivers so much more than I want the third and fourth round running backs like Gurley and Fournette. So I'm passing on Fournette. I'm certainly passing on Todd Gurley as well. I'm not sure where you have Todd Gurley in the top 150 right now or not, or where you're at versus market. Uh, but what do you think? No, he's um, only a little bit below ADP in terms of his just positional rank, but in his overall top 150, where he is in the overall top 150, we're, we're way below consensus on him. And that's because of the running back thirst. And that is one of the reasons why I think this year, Usually I'm, I'm a big promoter of using the tiers to draft. I think that's the best way to draft. But this year, I think that using the linear top 150 might actually be more beneficial because we do have the running backs. The, the running backs that you actually want are jammed up high, right? And then there's sort of like a tier of, you know, some, a couple of elite tight ends and um, a couple of big time, you know, uh, wide receiver ones. Um, and then – and then um, you, you, you move on, to, and, and then we, we kind of stay with – we mix in a little bit of James Conner, uh, but, but we, we stay with you know, a, a big chunk of great uh, uh, receiver plays. And then we move back into the running backs eventually. But we make sure – essentially, if you're using the, the top 150 linear rankings, you're going to get a bell cow RB. You're going to get a ton of value at you – know, with an elite tight end or one or two elite wide receiver ones. And then you can go back into – and I, some people would call this RB anchor or modified zero RB. And you just, you take several rounds off from drafting running backs. You can come back and put together like, you know, stockpile four or five running backs that can get, skate you through uh, the, the first few weeks to use as your RB2. You have that RB1 locked in and you're elite at all your other positions. Yeah. And this is going to be the same story. We're going to talk again about a running back, a mid-round running back here who we're definitely out on. And then we'll get into, I think, some more interesting guys. But quickly on Le'Veon Bell who we have, you know, talked a bunch about, Le'Veon Bell, 45.6 ADP. He's going to show up on your shy away list 
for sure. I mean, it's pretty easy, I think, to summarize the problems with Le'Veon Bell, the schedule, addition of Frank Gore, Adam Gase is a donkey. Uh, is there anything more to say on being out on Le'Veon Bell? I would just say that we were already pretty much out on him. Well, signing Frank Gore and drafting LaMichael Perrine uh, or Pirine, uh, they, they used a fourth-round pick on LaMichael Pirine, and they signed Frank Gore, who always plays more than anyone anticipates because coaches love him, and certainly Adam Gase loves him. Those were huge, huge red flags. Add to that the fact that the game script looks even worse for the Jets after they traded Jamal Adams and C.J. Mosley opted out. I mean, their defense now could be really – their defense was okay last year. Mm -hmm. Their defense could be really, really bad. Um, This is another situation where I'm not sure that Le'Veon Bell finishes the season on the Jets roster, you know – earlier in the offseason, I was sort of willing to take like Le'Veon Bell to just put like the touches on my roster. Um, but I, I regret that and I'm not taking him anymore. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, and that O-line is freaking oh, yeah. brutal. I think, uh, I think Brandon pointed out that they might have five new starters now. Right. Oh, they, they do have five new starters. They've, they've upgraded talent, but man, I mean, they're going to have to get it together in, in a hurry. And Brandon was obviously skeptical about that. Uh, let's get into some guys maybe we haven't talked about very much. Here's one that we haven't talked about that is going to be on my list of guys I'm not taking. That's Keenan Allen, 58.3 ADP. Keenan Allen annually has one of the NFL's lowest average depths of targets. And that's fine, you know, when you're getting 9, 10, 12 targets a game. You know, the volume and the catch rate uh, uh, can be there. But when you're only getting uh, 7 targets, well, now we have a problem, right? Because you're going to end up with a lot of 5 for 43 lines and stuff like that. And with Phillip Rivers gone and Tyrod Taylor in with one of the NFL's most talented defenses with Mike Williams and Austin Eckler and Hunter Henry all taking target shares, I don't see Keenan Allen getting anywhere near the volume he needs to pair with his route tree and actually find a big ceiling. So I think 58.3 is really high for Keenan Allen. There's so many wide receivers in this range that I like more. You know, I don't know. Can you get DK Metcalf here? Can you get Tyler Lockett here? You can certainly get. Will Fuller here, uh, people like Marquise Brown. I don't like him as much, but guys like that, I think you're going to find a way bigger ceiling on than Keenan Allen. So I am out on Keenan. I hope he doesn't uh, listen to this, though, because I'm pretty sure he'll come out and crack me on Twitter. He takes stuff very personally uh, on Twitter, and so I'm a little bit worried about that, but I'm out on Keenan Allen. Yeah, I don't like to speak ill of Keenan Allen because I, I love his game, and I, I like that he said, that, yo, I'm better than all those receivers. Yeah. Like, that's how he should think. He should, he should take every day with a chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, he was underdrafted coming out of college. Um, you know, I think he definitely doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And his job on every play is to, like, go fight for the football against other humans. So um, he should absolutely be competitive in everything that he does, and I, I respect him for that. He should, he should definitely think he's the best receiver in the league every time that he – goes and practices or goes and play, plays a game. I mean, even if he isn't, like, he should have that mindset, no question. And I, I take nothing away from him for that. But I am, like you, out on him and most of the Chargers this year. Yeah. Uh, here's one that uh, was on your list who I think people are maybe a little bit surprised about. Because when a player is, like, ascending and he's young and he's talented, people think we're just automatically going to be on him because we prefer to be on young ascending guys. But you are out on Cortland Sutton. Broncos wide receiver. Talk to people about that. 
Yeah, so we were big on Cortland Sutton last year. Um, we were way above uh, consensus on him, and, and he, he was a really nice hit for us. Um, this year, he there's major quarterback uncertainty. I have very low uh, confidence either way, whether Drew Locke is bad or good. Um, I just – I just don't know. You know, he went four and one in his starts last year, but really only was exceptional in the, the, the one game against Houston, which was just an absolute you know disaster game uh, for Houston. The Broncos brought in a new OC, a new quarterbacks coach. Um, they brought in a new number two and number three receivers who they used a lot of draft capital on and KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy. Um, Noah Fant is entering his second year. Um, you know, they, they're, I think that at the end of the day, they're going to remain a balanced to run first team. Uh, after signing Melvin Gordon and bringing back Philip Lindsay and, um, you know, Vic Fangio, you know, he's, he's the head coach and most teams build their team in the likeness of their head coach and he's a defensive coach. Um, so I, I still really like Cortland Sutton. Uh, but I think that he's going to have a down year, and then we we try to buy him in 2021. That that's sort of how I'm playing it with Cortland Sutton. Yeah, and I think one thing about target shares in Denver, Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman did not project for many target shares. They didn't play that well in the past game, but Melvin Gordon does, and so you're taking even more targets away. Not only did they add Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and and Noah Fant uh, in year two, I think is going to take a reasonable leap, but also you add Melvin Gordon, who I think is going to get plenty of checkdowns as well, and you're starting to lose targets for Cortland Sutton in a hurry um okay this one we haven't talked about this guy at all I, I just don't see it with Darius Geis at 78th overall and and you know maybe I'll see it more if Adrian Peterson ends up getting cut which I think is possible but they have Adrian Peterson right now they have Antonio Gibson getting running back reps they have Bryce Love they have Peyton Barber they have JD McKissage and I get that Darius Geis is by far and away I mean no doubt most more talented than all those guys combined dude's played five games since getting drafted in 2018 ACL tear meniscus mcl sprain um he's playing behind brandon thorne's 30th ranked offensive line only the bengals and the dolphins have a worse offensive line according to brandon thorne and you know this organization and team is just such a train wreck i just don't understand how you could take darius geis at 78th overall and say it's because of anything except for his talent and i get that people want to bet on talent but the situation just seems so awful to me so maybe i'm missing something here on darius geis uh i don't think we've, we've even spoken a word about him this year. I'm curious what your take is. I actually think I have him ranked right around his ADP. Let me look at it real quick. Um, Darius guys, where'd you say he was like 78? Yeah. He's 78th on underdog. He's going. Yeah. He. Okay. Um, I don't know. All right. I know I have him RB 31, um, but I don't know either way. Like I, I haven't been getting him at all. Um, but I, I did want to keep him sort of in a striking distance range in our rankings because if Adrian Peterson gets hurt, then his ADP is going to absolutely skyrocket. Well, he could get cut and, too. Yeah, 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 hurt or cut, yeah. right. So um, I don't know. He's a tough one because you know he's talented. You know that they're going to want to run the ball in Washington. Um their offense, the left side of their offensive line in particular, just looks absolutely terrible. But uh, I don't know. You know the talent is there. He's he's he's, ta he's tantalizing, but man, there, there's a lot, a lot of. Uh, he really has a, a very low floor. Yeah, um, yeah, really low. Okay. Uh, last one for you is David 
Johnson, and he's another one of these mid-round running backs. Um, it's interesting, you know, David Johnson obviously looked awful last year, and there's that one clip of him. It looks like he's like walking with like a, a cane or something as he tries to get to the edge. Uh, I would hope he'd be fresher and more explosive this mm-hmm. year. Um, they gave up a ton to bring him to Houston, which makes you think that the usage is going to be there. Uh, talk to me about why you're out on David Johnson. My concern is that they're going to just throw him into the Carlos Hyde role last year, which, I mean, had, you know, had its moments last year. But Carlos Hyde is a much better inside runner than David Johnson. That's the weakness of David Johnson's game is inside running. He really should be used as a perimeter space back, almost as a wide receiver. That's how they were – I mean, they, they dabbled with using him that way in Arizona in the first six weeks last year. And he – I mean, he, he definitely didn't embarrass himself. He made a, a few spectacular plays – and then, you know, he got hurt and he tried to come back and it was just a total, total uh, disaster. But, you know, they still have Duke Johnson there. They did pay a third round pick for him. I think that Duke Johnson is just a better fit for their offense than is David Johnson. And if they do try to stick him in that Carlos Hyde role where his primary job is interior running, he's, he's going he's gonna to fail. And that's going to lead to more time for Duke Johnson, who does have that that full year of experience in the offense. It didn't go as well as you we might have hoped uh, in year one. But I think that Duke Johnson uh, just is a better bet at their respective ADPs. David Johnson's ADP keeps rising. I mean, yeah. every time that I'm doing a draft, he's going earlier and earlier. I've seen him. He went at um, 2.11 in uh, last night to the guy who took Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 101 in the pros versus Joe's draft. I've seen him go third, fourth round pretty consistently. You can consistently get Duke Johnson 12th, 13th, 14th round. So yeah, that, that's definitely where my bets are going to lie with Duke Johnson as opposed to David Johnson at their respective ADPs. And it's not particularly close. My, my biggest disagreement here is that I have punted off so much money assuming that coaches are going to use Duke Johnson. And maybe there's something we don't know about Duke Johnson that makes coaches not want to play him. Like, because they give him a third round pick for him and then – barely used him i mean that was ridiculous so i kind of think that there's something we're missing i mean he just bill o'brien just fell in love with carlos hyde just yeah fell in love with him I, uh, um, I don't but know. i mean just... who, who, are, who are those coaches that have made those decisions yeah hugh jackson uh, of course, hugh jackson and bill o'brien of course bill o'brien is, is still the coach of duke johnson unfortunately <laughs> shout out to hugh jackson again uh for doing the uh, cameo for us that was awesome uh okay um last one we're gonna talk about here uh, Darius Slayton, I don't understand this one. Darius Slayton has an ADP of 94.9. Meanwhile, Golden Tate has an ADP of 134. Sterling Shepard, who I actually like best, has an ADP of 108.4. I think what people are doing with Darius Slayton is they're extrapolating his stats from last year without bringing in the context of Evan Ingram hurt, Sterling Shepard missing time, Golden Tate missing time. And really, Darius Slayton only had two really big games. He went off on the Jets for 121 yards on 10 catches and two touchdowns. Then he went off on the Eagles, 154 yards and two touchdowns on five catches. You know, two of the biggest pass funnels, two of the worst secondaries in the league last year. So I think you need a lot more context when you're evaluating Darius Slayton's rookie year. And that doesn't take anything away from the fact I think he's a talented player. And I think Daniel Jones is going to breed fantasy upside. But like people are acting like Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are gone or, or hurt again when they're taking Darius Slayton at 94.9. I would much rather take Sterling Shepard there or wait a couple rounds and take Golden Tate. What do you think about what's going on with the Giants? Well, I have Golden Tate. I, first of all, I have Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton all ranked 
right next to each other. Um, that's my hedge, I guess, but I, I think that it's probably the best way to do it because it really is kind of, kind of throwing darts at, you know, who, who's really going to outscore who they're all sort of in the same boat. I have golden Tate first though. Um, and he has the lowest ADP. I drafted him last night in the pros versus Joe's as my wide receiver seven. I love that. I mean, this guy could easily catch 85 balls, mm-hmm. you know, I think that Darius Slayton's ceiling is probably around 60 catches, but he's got the big playability. And then Sterling Shepard, you know, his concussion history is is pretty alarming. But um, you know, he's he's a he's a savvy veteran, and um, you know, when he's out there, he's going to be productive more often than not. Um, but I, I think that with Darius Slayton, people are just going for the explosiveness, the the sort of shiny new toy. You know, they don't see Golden Tate as sexy. When Golden Tate starts go, going in like the 13th round, that, that to me is sexy for a guy who has like 85 to 90 catch upside. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird to me, the Darius Lane ADP. And like I said at the beginning uh, of this, you know, the market um, is going to react. And I would expect eventually maybe Darius Slayton goes third out of them. But right now for him to be going first out of these three is just wild to me. Anyways. Evans shy away art will be up much closer to the season once he has his final thoughts on who he's going to be shying away from in full. There'll be some of these guys on there, I'm sure, and there'll be a whole bunch more as he gets up to 30 or 40 guys he's shying away from. That'll be in the draft kit later. So look for that. Okay, that's going to do it for this bust episode of the podcast. We'll be back next time with one of the best friends of the show, Pat Thorman, to talk snaps and pace and some ranking stuff. So... For producer Luke, for Evan, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.